Thank you, Angel. You guys can grab a seat. Hey, well, good afternoon. Glad to see everybody. Excited for an opportunity to come together on this third Advent Sunday. Um, and excited for, for some tasty treats that are now a Christ City tradition. So it's set. Dana, you'll always have to provide these. So at least by the third Sunday. What is it called? Krumkaga. Krumkaga. If you haven't had a Krumkaga yet, at the, at the break, make a dash, grab a Krumkaga, cup of coffee or some hot chocolate, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, yeah. And so, so Advent is a little special for us, right? We don't usually have Krumkaga and, uh, and hot chocolate. Um, but, but part of the reason we love Advent, part of the reason it's so special is because in some ways, even though we're unique as our little faith family, we're here together as individuals who know one another, who long to, to not just worship together, but to follow Jesus together. The cool thing about Advent is we get kind of looped into a bigger story, right? We get looped into the story of, of the world, right? The good news, but also into the stories of other traditions of our faith. Like, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but like the, uh, the, the collective prayer this week was prayers from the Orthodox Church. Um, some of the collects that we'll read later today are from the Episcopal Church. Some of the things that we do throughout our service and throughout our week come from different traditions in our faith that we've kind of collected and, and parsed together as a faith family over the years to help us be ones who, together, in these weeks and days leading up to Christmas morning, get to be a part of God's people, the church, coming together to proclaim and celebrate the good news that Christ has come in anticipation that He'll come again, right? And so that's the, the beauty of Advent. And so if you, you, we've talked about it for several weeks. This will be the last time we say about it, but there's all kinds of resources that we have on our website and on the app for you to, to get into Advent to help you be a part of it on a daily basis as we walk together. Uh, also to get a little bit of history and connection of why we do the things we do from the Christmas trees that we put up to the songs that we sing and where all those things come from. Because in some ways, like this is the season that's probably easiest to get busy, right? It's easiest to just kind of jump into the flow, to feel the energy of the season and just kind of run with it. But in more, in more so, because of that energy, because of all the noise around us, we need to have even more opportunities to connect the dots of what's going on in our life, how our story fits within the grander story, what this season really means, but also to have spaces like this where we can set our minds, attention, and hearts' affections upon Jesus, to slow down for just a moment, even as we give our kids lots of sugar, and rest in the fact that hope is drawn near, right? Because Advent really is a journey. Advent is a journey of stories. It's a journey through stories, stories of our faith and stories of the faithful, Stories that are fictitious, like one we'll read here in just a minute. Stories that are factual, like ones that will be read from us from our scriptures. Stories we're familiar with and stories that are obscure, maybe like the little match girl that we read the first Sunday of Advent this year. Stories that are told through daily devotions, weekly prayers, and gathered in our focused Sabbath worship. What you'll notice, though, in all these stories is not just their flow, not just their movement towards Christmas Day, but that they share something more than just the destination in common. The stories actually come together each week around themes that represent, are represented by the candles of the Advent wreath. On the first Sunday of Advent, we lit the candle of hope, and last week, the candle of peace. These themes, captured in the collects, in the carols, the call to worship to the benediction, every element of our gathering over the next few moments will tell stories that are connected to the theme for today. They'll tell a story in the greater story of something to draw our attention to. But now there's a thing, there's, there's something to, be, to note about Advent. It's not that we, hey, we got to hope, we got that idea down, now we move to peace, we get to that idea down, and then we move to the, the theme for today. 
Now, in Advent, all these themes actually come together. They blend together. They come together to help us form a unified picture of what the good news really is. Help us to see and enter a vision of life as it is, but also as it will be, full, complete, and holy in its living newness. So, let me today encourage you to pay attention and see the connections and completions that bring together today's stories, not merely in linear progression from hope to peace to joy, but in unity of a prophetic vision of life, a vision of, of a whole and full life. For Advent is just that. It's a season adorned with symbols to help us pay attention to visions of anticipation and arrival, to beginnings of the end, which is really a mending, a mending of all that fractures so that we might be healed, of real life restored, as Angel just read for us, and all that comes with such an arrival. Much like our story today, we'll continue to do. So Dana, if you want to come on up, and kids, if you guys want, it's story time. Yay. Yeah, so if you're a kid... Or a big kid, whatever. I mean, if you just want to come sit up on, on, the, on stage, whatever. This is your chance. I know. I know Roy's really like, I could do this. This could be for me. You're more than welcome to. And then Miss Dana is going to read for us. Hi. Does that work? All right. Yeah, that's great. Hi, Clem. Okay, we're going to read a story called The Three Skaters. It was a cold, barren winter that year. The harvest had been poor. The barns were only half filled. The farmers wondered how they would be able to pull through the winter, how they were going to feed their hungry families and their cattle, how to heat their homes. A stillness hung over the wide, cold Dutch land, a tense stillness. Low gray clouds hung heavy over the snowy white fields. Along the canals, stretching straight and frozen till they faded out in the distant horizon, the gnarled willows stood in ragged rows, ragged rows like awkward onlookers. A farmer skated home over the frozen canal. He had been to market that day. And all he had been able to get for his few pennies was a bag full of red apples, which he carried over his shoulder. He hunched his back against the icy wind and hurried along with long, steady strokes, thinking all the while how disappointed his wife and the children would be with the meager results of his marketing. He stopped for a moment to refasten his curved wooden skates. As he stood there catching his breath, he thought he heard a soft swishing in the distance. Looking up and peering through the mist, he saw his neighbor, the old miller, appear through the falling dusk. His back was bent under a load of bread, which he had gotten from the baker in exchange for his flour. The two men greeted each other without a word. They went on through the silent evening each sunk in his own thoughts, each knowing that the other man's thoughts were similar to his own. They halted at a little drawbridge too low to pass under. With uncertain, clumsy feet on skates, they stepped on land to cross the other side of the bridge. Just as they found themselves back on the canal, 
they were joined by another neighbor, a pig farmer who carried aside a bacon, which no one had been willing to buy from him. The three silent men hurried on the strong, regular strokes of their skates, the only sounds in the wide, wintry landscape. There should be a moon somewhere. At least the heavy clouds looked strangely lit, as if by an inner light. It had become even colder now, and the men huddled deeper into their woolen mufflers. The old miller lagged somewhat behind felt tired and he shifted the heavy sack from his left to his right shoulder. As he looked up, he saw that the moon had appeared from behind the clouds. One dark, cold, stark beam pointed straight down on an old barn across the snow-covered field on the left. Suddenly a sound came from that lonely barn, a sound as if from a baby crying, hey, the miller called to his companions, Hey there, stop! Come over here! The other two men braked to a halt and turned slowly around. Annoyed at the old man, it was cold and late, and they wanted to go home. Listen, said the miller, pointing his finger to the old barn. There was no mistake, they heard it too. There was a baby crying in that barn. There ain't nobody living there, said the farmer. That barn's been empty for years, ever since the old man built himself a new one next to his house. He keeps his sheep there, said the pig farmer, but that sound comes from no sheep. For a moment, the three men looked at each other. Then all three removed their skates and stepped on land to find out. As they neared the moonlit barn, the crying became quieter. A mere whimper now, while the gentlewoman's voice began softly hum a little tune. The three neighbors shook their heads, completely baffled. They hesitated for just a second. Then the miller moved forward and opened the barn door. All three stepped inside. They had to become accustomed to the darkness at first, away from the clear shaft of moonlight. But as their eyes adjusted themselves to the dim glow of the lantern inside, they saw that their ears had not deceived them. As if by common impulse, all three took off their caps. A young woman who had been, whom they had never seen before, sat there on the cold barn door. In her arms, she held a newborn baby. Where are we? Which she rocked gently to and fro. She had wrapped her coat around the little boy, who was now sleeping peacefully. An older man was raking some hay together in a corner near where the sheep stood, and the mother laid down her baby tenderly on that one little heap of softness in the cold, rough barn. We come from far away, the old man began to explain, as if to answer unspoken questions. And we shall have far to go. When it was time for my wife to have the baby, we tried very hard to find shelter. And we are grateful that we could get this barn. 
we can't stay long, for we have no food and no firewood. We shall have to move on tomorrow. The three men just stood there, not speaking, turning their caps in their hands. Then, driven as by a single force, each of them lowered the sack from his shoulder and emptied it before the young mother. The apples, the bread, and the bacon gleamed curiously in the flickering lantern light. Her eyes looked at them with such quiet peace and acceptance that they felt a strange sense of well-being, which made them almost uneasy at the same time. One by one, they took a look at the sleeping little boy, then turned around and left gently closing the dark door, barn door behind them. It had become still colder now, but the clouds had disappeared and the moon shone brightly over the snow-covered landscape. The men put their caps back on, knotted the mufflers tightly around their necks, and flung their empty bags across their shoulders. Back at the canal, they fastened their skates and started on the last stretch home thinking about the little scene they had just witnessed. One, two, one, two went the skates over the frozen waterway. It was strange, but none of them seemed to feel worried about coming home empty-handed. Somehow, life seemed to hold so much in store for them. They almost felt lighthearted, skating there in the clear, frosty night. Yet, it was as if the empty sacks they carried were getting heavier and heavier, as if somebody dropped a stone into them with every stroke they made. By the time they had reached the village and removed their skates, they were pretty near bent double under the load they carried. They could not explain it, but somehow they knew that it was good. At the church, the three men parted the farmer, the miller, and the pig farmer. Each went his own way back to his family. The few last steps seemed almost unbearable. So heavy was the weight on their shoulders. As each opened his back door and entered his home, he dumped the sack on the floor and looked at the expectant faces around the fireplace with its blue and white tiles. Loud cheers went up. Father, here is Father. Father is home. All the youngsters jumped up and began to pull at the strings of the bags, pushing each other, laughing, romping, as if this were a new kind of game. Oh, the wonder of it all. When the bags were finally opened and turned out over the kitchen floors, an abundance of food rolled over the neatly scrubbed tiles. There weren't merely everyday things. There was candy for the children, Dutch honey cake for the mothers, and also tobacco for the fathers. What a feast there was in the three homes. When all was quiet again, each of the men sat down by his fireplace, contentedly puffing his pipe. But in the spirit, but in spirit, the three were far away. Their thoughts hovered around a moonlit barn, around a simple little lantern-lit scene where a miracle had come to pass. Good job. Thanks, guys.
can grab a seat. Thanks, Eliana. Yeah, you can put that back. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, if you remember last week, there's a double gift of peace, right? Peace wasn't just given to us. Peace was given to give us something, purpose. Joy, in a similar way, is a, more than just an emotion. It's an energy, a force that moves us through our daily travails, manifesting not merely in the celebrations of what we receive, but from our response, what is given in the presence of the giver. Whether joy poured out is a meager's day labor like the three skaters, or simply the daily faith to us, as Mary's mother's story will tell us. And here to tell us that story from Luke's gospel and light our third Advent candle, the special pink candle of joy, is Eliana. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of David. One morning, the girl was minding her own business when, when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. She was, he was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she, when she saw a tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. Do not be scared, Gabriel, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked to, to see if he was talking, if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, going to have a baby. No. Mary, Gabriel said. Mary, Gabriel said. And laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with tears. Mary, going to have a little, a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is, he is God's own son. He is the one. He is the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The one who who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the whole world? The world? But it was too wonderful, Mary said. And, and felt her heart, heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is, is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted more than her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant. She said, whatever God says, I will do. The Lord magnifies, enlarges my soul, and my spirit is full of joy in God, the Savior of me. Luke, no, Luke, chapter one, verse forty-six and forty-seven. Our scripture reading is from Isaiah fifty-one, verses one to eleven. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, from the, cor the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. 
Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Welcome to Stan. So this Advent has kind of been a little unique for us, right? We've been looking at prophets and apocalyptic messages and all those fun things, maybe a little bit different than we think of in the Advent season. But in truth, our scripture tells all these stories to give us, again, a picture of what is to come and what has arrived and what we still long for in fullness, but we get to experience even some today. Prophets like Isaiah and Jesus, for instance. For Jesus is not only the fulfiller of prophecies, which maybe we tend to think of him as, but he's also the wielder and kindler of the prophetic imagination. He calls us to see the world as it is and as it's becoming, with the expectation that we'll respond. Because that's what the visions require of us, right? Not merely to see them and to know them, but to live our lives in response to them. They paint pictures in anticipation for you and me to respond to God with us, not just God for us, to know the kingdom of God is within our grasp, as Jesus would tell us. Christ, contends Malcolm Guite, is constantly inviting us to imagine and to encounter the kingdom of God, God with us. He proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand and teaches us to pray that it should come. In every word, in every gesture, including his arrival, he shows us what the kingdom is, since he himself bodies it forth. For to imagine the kingdom of God is always a prophetic act, always a critique of this world, a showing us of what is broken and off, but also always a call to hope and to action. Apocalyptic visions reveal the fractures of our world, it's true, but not only so. They also reveal, and as we've sung today, what's going on underneath the apparent and the assumed. Prophetic visions call us to look and see with hope that beckons us to leave the cold isolation of our own individual selves and move towards something more splendid. They call us to action, to purpose, the peacemaking that puts us right in the middle of the arrival of the thing for which we hope and long. Compelled to move, 
empowered with purpose. The visions of the end that are amending, already beginning, are a prominent banner for our faith from the first moments of Eden's exile. Yet hope and peace are not the crown of our faith. The adorning evidence of an inward energy of our faith's persistence through the millennia into eternity is not simply that we hope and hold on to it and are held by it, not simply peace that we've received it and live into it. That distinction belongs to something else that's arrived in flesh and blood that first Noel. Joy. As it was said to the shepherds that first Noel, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You see, joy is an energy, not merely an attitude. And it comes from someplace deep within, but it cannot stay there. It has to be displayed. It has to overflow. It has to move out. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, said Isaiah. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads like a wreath. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and signs shall flee away. Wreathing, adorning the heads of God's people, filling the ears and eyes of all those around who would be beckoned to join them, flows from their mouths and from their hands, for joy cannot be contained. It is, however, as Isaiah implies and the angels proclaimed, something that is found, something obtained. It's entered into, as Jesus would put put it to the faithful servants in telling the story of the end that's really a beginning. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, you who have set out for righteousness like the picture that Isaiah gave for us. I will set you over much. Now enter into the joy of your master. Not the hope of your master, not the peace of your master. All those things could be true, but enter into the joy of your master. And that's what makes joy, like the kingdom of God itself, and as T.S. Eliot said, a condition of complete simplicity. Something that is simply, we walk into it. And yet, our walking into it costs not less than everything. Not a cost of admission, not a payment to get into, but rather joy leads us to give everything. It takes everything within us and pours it out for all the world. Or as the author of Hebrews puts it, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we are a part of a lineage of faith like Abraham and Sarah, as Isaiah reminded us, or Mary, as Eliana read for us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin, return not again to the folly and to the struggles of this life, which cling so closely, but let us run with endurance for the long haul, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the beginner of our faith, and perfecter, the end of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the place where his story actually began, right? Look, there's no naivety in joy. It's not pretending that all is okay. But having, rather, but having been gripped by hope and being yielded by peace, the energy of joy perseveres us, allows us to give, and in our giving, receive back what, as Zachariah said last week, and Isaiah alludes, and the angels say, and Jesus knows now in his living again, 
What was ours at the beginning is ours again in him. A life overflowing in life with God. Listen to me. Remember what Isaiah said? You who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Listen if, for those who want to be called good and faithful servants. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, from the place of your beginning to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah who before you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him, that I might instill him with joy so that his joy might overflow. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Joy and gladness will be found in the place where all those who hunger and thirst go to, those who are lost seek after. Thanksgiving in the voice of song shall be what is heard by all who have ears to hear. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. It's the energy of joy that enables our endurance for such a day. To endure, to see to be a people whose lives beckon others to come into the joy that we've received. It's the energy of joy that enables our endurance to respond, in other words, to God with us and for us, with our voices and with our actions, as the stories of our faith heritage and of Jesus remind us. Gripped by hope, yielded by peace, it is joy that allows us to give our lives as a response to the life that is ours in God. Joy. It compels us, like the skaters, to give what we have. It fills us so that when we get home, we have more than we started with. But not just more than we started with numerically, but no, we have something that was prepared for everyone else. It can't just be contained anymore in us. It has to be spilled out, and others have to enjoy it as well. It is joy that allows us to give our lives as a response to the life that is ours in God. A life that lasts long beyond all that fades away. A life we know that is ours and is ours to share. For as Isaiah depicts, as the image comes clearer and clearer in his prophetic vision, and Jesus' life and ministry testify, and this is the amazing thing, we are the manifestation of our Father's joy. Isaiah says it this way, Regarding Zion, I can't keep my mouth shut. This is God talking. Regarding Jerusalem, I can't hold my tongue until her righteousness blazes down like the sun and her salvation flames up like a torch. Foreign countries will see your righteousness and the world leaders your glory. No more will anyone call you rejected and your country will no more be called ruined. You will be called my delight and your land married. Because God delights in you and your land will be like a wedding celebration for as a young man carries his virgin bride, so your builder marries you. As a bridegroom is happy in his bride, so your God is happy, takes joy with you. But again, here's the thing. Joy can't be contained. It always shares, it gives, it flows out into life, as John testifies. In fact, it is flows so much out that it can't be complete. 
if it's kept to ourselves. For that, as John says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim. We don't just say it. We don't just tell it. We proclaim it so that you may also have fellowship with us. Not just so that you know the story, but so you get to be a part of the story too. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. The proclamation, the invitation, the overflow is not in order to be joyous. It's because joy already fills. Because joy can't stay in the bag. It gets too heavy to carry. It has to be spilled out for all to be invited in to the miracle in which is our life. So joy is an energy as much as an attitude. It adorns us. We're wreathed in it by the way we respond to the presence of life with God. It's not full and filling until it is shared. So, for a moment, in the quiet, in a season in which I'm sure you'll have much to give and much to receive, why don't we ask the question and let the Spirit speak gently to us, what is covering your joy? What might be keeping it from being complete? Or maybe you can ask it a different way. What completes your joy? How can your joy be complete? For just a moment, let's quiet our hearts and our minds. So if you will do this with me, just close your eyes or look down at the ground, whatever allows you to be in quiet here in this place. Take a deep breath in, remembering what has been said of you. You are my delight. I am happy, full of joy with you. That's the vision of life that is spoken to us from Isaiah. Jesus would say, I love you. Before you were, while you were still sinners, I died for you. I invite you into my love, into the love of the Father. In that place, that special little place. What joy do you feel? And what's keeping it, or how might it become complete? I'll pray for us and just give us a couple minutes to consider. Father, we thank you. For the joy your joy to send your son and the joy of your son to give his life so that we might share and enter into the joy of our master.